So to continue with the Satipatthana Sutra tonight, the first night speaking about mindfulness, and the second night, last night, Michael spoke about the body. And tonight what I want to talk about is Vedana, or feeling, which is the second foundation of mindfulness. The third, if you remember it from the first night, or if you know this sutra, is mental states, emotions, thoughts. And the fourth is laws of experience. But to focus tonight on Vedana, or feeling. The reason I'm using the Pali, which I haven't been really usually using, is because um, it's hard to use the word feeling. I'm going to be using that word. But it's so different in this teaching, in this kind of understanding, than what we usually think of as feeling. So I want to explain this first. What feeling is, is the texture of our experience. So from moment to moment, either a feeling of pleasure is occurring, a feeling of pain or an unpleasant sensation is occurring, or it's neither one. It's in between, or it's a little bit pleasurable, um, but mostly neutral, a little bit unpleasant, but mostly neither one, mostly neutral. So it's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And the sutra starts with being aware of the body because it's the easiest place to be aware. You might not have found it easy, but (laughs) it's the easiest because it's the most dense, it's the most coarse. One can feel the body touching the cushion or touching the chair. We can, if we put our hand on our our belly particularly, we can feel the breathing in the body. It's very possible to feel the breathing. Vedana is a little bit more subtle. It's more subtle than the body. And I just want to caution you when I talk, don't try to um, gather this in as information. Um, Don't try to educate yourself too much right now because it's a deeper kind of understanding that we're aiming for on retreat and in life in general. And don't feel that you have to um, apply everything that's said. This is more to orient the mind, the heart, in a particular direction so that we can see things clearly, let go, and know liberation within ourselves. So, the texture of our experience, being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, is very, very different than an emotion. Um, An emotion, in the Buddhist teaching, is seen as much more complex. So an emotion means anger, or sadness, or grief, or loneliness, or um, happiness, or these kinds of things. Something more complex than the initial sense impression that occurs when there is Vedana. There are three kinds, as I said, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And when we hear this, sometimes we think, well, I have mixed feelings. You know, I feel some pleasure, but I feel a lot of pain, mostly neutral, but a little bit of this, a little bit of that. From the perspective of the teachings, um, we don't feel mixed feelings. 
we feel just one feeling. It's just that it changes so quickly from moment to moment that it appears to us to be mixed. So from moment to moment, one sense impression is occurring. This feeling is in relationship to the body and in relationship to the mind. So in relationship to the body, this includes the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body at large, which are the five sense doors that we're familiar with. And then the Buddha also talked about a sixth sense, or a sixth sixth sense door, which is the mind, meaning thoughts and emotions. So this means feeling, a pleasant feeling, in relationship to the eye making contact with something or another, consciousness being involved, and all of these things coming together, creating a feeling. So that's what's known as contact. The contact is the consciousness plus the organ, meaning the eye in this example, plus the object, so maybe the rug. And to maybe use a a little bit of an easier example, um, maybe of a carrot. Um, The tongue making contact with a carrot and consciousness being involved in that as well. This is what is known as contact. And then out of that contact comes pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. If you love carrots, pleasant. Um, If you hate carrots, unpleasant. Um, If you could care less and you're just eating your carrots because it's good for your body, then probably neutral. In the mind, it's the same thing. It's the mind making contact with a thought and then consciousness being part of that. So that's the contact part. And then out of contact comes a feeling. So um, the mind making contact with a particular thought and then the feeling tone of that thought being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So this is, this is how it works. Being mindful is really of feeling is quite crucial. It's really the second foundation of mindfulness because we need to see feeling as it is. Seeing pl- the pleasant as pleasant, seeing the unpleasant as unpleasant, and seeing the neutral as neutral. And beginning to understand its insubstantial and impermanent nature So seeing into the nature of feeling so that we're not as pushed around or compelled by the feelings that arise quite naturally and out of our control within us, as well as to be able to come into a wise relationship with this basic element in life. When we're not mindful of feeling, there is oftentimes a tendency to overemphasize its importance, to exaggerate a situation when there is an unpleasant or painful feeling occurring, to overemphasize its importance when there's a pleasant feeling that's happening that we want more of. We also might find when we're not in touch with feeling, aware of feeling, mindful of feeling, that we underemphasize the importance of feeling and may find some degree of insensitivity. We might find ourselves withdrawn 
And if we're not aware of our own feelings, of the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral uh, texture of our life, it's very easy to hurt and to ignore the feelings of others. So it's coming into a middle path, you know, this understanding of, of neither overemphasizing the importance of feeling nor underemphasizing the importance of feeling so that there is a wise relationship to feelings that arise. The Buddha said that all things converge on feeling, which is a pretty big statement. And we know that in this world that because of feeling, truly wonderful things occur, very noble events occur. People do really, really quite extraordinary actions for others. And as well, really terrible things happen. Because of the urge, the instinct to get away from pain, the instinct to get away from the unpleasant, and the instinct to move towards and try to get as much pleasant feeling as one possibly can, truly terrible things are done as well. Our effort generally is in the direction of trying to increase pleasant feeling and decrease pain. Now, this shouldn't come as any surprise. But it's very interesting to see this dynamic happening in oneself. The delusion we often carry around with us that's oftentimes deeply embedded within us is that if we can accumulate enough pleasure, or enough pleasurable moments, or enough pleasurable experiences, the result will be lasting happiness. There are whole industries set up, built up, to support this delusion. So it's very, very easy to be co-opted into this delusion. You know, our conditioning is such that we're apt to believe this delusion. But then, as well, in the world, you know, there's so much supporting this idea that if we get enough pleasure, there will be lasting happiness. The problem is that nothing wrong with pleasure, and it comes and it goes. You know? It's like trying to get water out of a stone. It's not possible for it to offer us what we hope and dream and wish that it would. So we're constantly going against nature. We're constantly going against the flow of things when our impulse or instinct in life is to try to get more pleasure and to try to push away pain and discomfort. Feeling or Vedana needs to be known. It needs to be known. And that's the way out, is to know it. There's this wonderful line in the sutra, in the Satipatthana Sutra, that runs through the entire discourse. When it's applied to the body, this line is, be aware of the body in the body. And then it moves on to feeling. Be aware of the feeling in the feeling. And then with mental states, be aware of the mental state in the mental state. Be aware of the laws of experience in the laws of experience. 
So when you get to feeling, what this translates into is be aware of the texture itself without adding anything to it. When it comes to the body, it means be aware of the body without describing the body, without thinking about the body, without commenting on the body. But just simply aware there is this body, aware of the body from the inside out, not appearance or ideas or thoughts, but really the raw experience of the body. So when it comes to feeling, it's the same thing. To be aware in this moment is pleasure occurring. In this moment is discomfort occurring, is the unpleasant, is pain occurring. Just to know, know, in this moment is neutrality occurring. Not adding or subtracting, not judging or commenting or having opinions, views, but really just allowing ourselves to be aware of the very texture of our experience from moment to moment. Feeling needs to be known. When we're mindful of the texture itself, we're not adding, avoiding, or grasping, or judging, or justifying. We're not adding, comparing, or an identification with it as being who we are or how things are. Our fear of feeling pleasure or pain or neutrality diminishes some. It's avoiding thinking about it, and it's experiencing it instead. It's simply knowing the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral texture in life. And when we are aware of feeling in the feeling, the feeling in the feeling, the result can be equanimity. There can be a balance of mind, a balance of heart. Whereas if we're not aware, there's actually this tendency for feeling to kind of morph into um, something other than where we started. And we find ourselves lost, not knowing how to get back all the time. So just what I mean by this is that if a pleasant feeling happens to be occurring, if we're not aware that pleasure is occurring, it easily turns into wanting more of that pleasant moment. You know, pleasure is happening in the moment, no problem, just fine, not something to um, push away, just happening. But if we're not aware of it as a feeling, if we take it as more than what it is, as being able to offer us more than it can in its very nature, then we have this instinct to try to get more, to try to want more, and we want to make it last when feelings are out of our control. Now, sometimes wanting to make a feeling last actually shortens its life. It's really a, you know, goes in the opposite direction than what we want. You can say this, un- this is unfortunate, but luckily there is the heart that abides alone. So it's not all bad news. But we do need to be aware of the pleasure somewhat morphing into uh, what you could call greed, wanting it to last, and many times wanting to repeat it so that we'll get the same feeling. 
And you know how a feeling, you know, you can, you can be kind of brushed by someone and it can feel really good, a nice, somebody stroking your arm, for instance, and it feels really good. And then they can keep stroking your arm. And, you know, it still feels pretty good. And maybe a few more moments of that, you know, and, and it's okay, but you kind of wish they'd stop. <laughs> huh? And then you get to a point, if that person continues to stroke your arm, that you start screaming. You know, you have to stop right now. You know? And then just to take this to its total extreme, if the person continued to, your skin would actually really hurt. You know? There would actually be an effect on your skin. And that began as something pleasurable. The same thing for um, something that we eat, you know? um, which is really always a good subject on retreat because it's one of the only pleasures that one really has. So we can you know, absorb into it in a way that we might even not in our usual daily life. It can assume greater importance. But anyway, we're eating something, and um, you know, the, the tongue is making contact with the food. Let's still talk about carrots. The tongue is making contact with the carrot, and we happen to like carrots, so we eat a carrot. You know, then we have a few more carrots. Then we have many more carrots. <laughs> and then we find that our stomach starts to hurt. You know, we've had too many carrots. And it's because it's been pleasurable. Also, it can change into a somewhat um, self-involved pursuit of pleasure. So pushing people over in order to get to the carrots. <laughs> you know, no carrots left for anyone else. Only carrots because of the pleasure. Yeah. And we might even not want to be doing that. It's because of the pleasure pushing us and our not being aware, as well as thinking we can get happiness through a carrot. <laughs> Look at this tomorrow, you know, at breakfast or at lunch. Look at how the mind thinks and, and feels and you know, even though, of course, all of us are reasonable, we know at the same time we move towards instinct. Yeah. And this is where meditation comes in, is because we don't have to obey that instinct. Yeah. We have that choice in life, which is extraordinary, extraordinary power. And it is empowering you know, to be aware instead of being compelled or forced by instinct, instead of being caught completely tied up in obsession. We have the chance, the choice to train ourselves, you know, to train the heart, to train the mind, so that there is more choice in our life. Not to repress, not to think we shouldn't take care of ourselves or get what we need. But when it moves into greed, that's where unhappiness comes in. Now, really, this difference between need and greed. Need is important. It's essential to learn, to educate ourselves about our true needs. Greed leads to unhappiness and suffering. When we come to the unpleasant, an unpleasant feeling arising, whether it's in relationship to the body or whether it's in relationship to a thought or an emotion, if we're not mindful of the unpleasant texture happening, and you have to remember it's happening only in the moment. 
oftentimes when there's an unpleasant feeling occurring, we automatically think it is going to happen for many more moments. You know, I mean, maybe for um, the rest of the hour or the rest of the retreat, um, maybe for the rest of my life. You know, sometimes we get really, really thinking in this way when actually a pleasant, an unpleasant feeling is happening right here and now. now. There might be another moment of unpleasantness, but then there's bound to be, if we're watchful, if we're mindful, there's bound to be a moment of neutrality, even a moment of pleasure in the midst that we haven't caught because of the way we gloss over and call things a certain, see things in a certain way. You know, this is unpleasantness. It's going to last forever. So what happens if we're not aware of unpleasant vedana, unpleasant sensation or feeling, is that it turns into what morphs into aversion. It turns into bitterness or resentment. We want to withdraw sometimes. It depends on one's personality and conditioning. But oftentimes, when there is pain, particularly maybe emotional or mental unpleasant sensation occurring, what happens is oftentimes we want to withdraw. You know, it's kind of like the heart gets stiff. What we're encouraging is a steadiness of heart. Whereas what tends to happen when there is painful sensation occurring is that instead of steadiness, the heart feels very stiff withdrawn, um, you know, not wanting to be present or to connect with the present moment because we're, we're so completely caught up in the, in the aversion. And of course, for other personalities, it turns into aggression. There isn't a withdrawal. There's more of an aggression, an attacking, you know, a, a kind of a, a coming out against, a blaming of others for the particular Vedana that we're experiencing. When it comes to neutrality, oftentimes when there's neutrality, it turns into, if we're not aware of neutrality, and sometimes we're so drawn towards pleasure and pain that neutrality, you know, we're not even aware that there's a neutral moment. Maybe today there seem to be no neutral moments, only painful or pleasant. But what happens with neutrality is that it turns into boredom, it turns into apathy, it turns into passivity, it can turn into a sense of resignation, and certainly into confusion and delusion. And this is really one of the homes of habit, is when there is neutrality and we're not aware of it. When we're not aware of it, it turns into indifference and a lack of contact. And then we fall into our habits. And of course, habits are what we do when we're not mindful. So it's kind of like we're lost at sea at that point. Maybe our habits are totally benign and not in any way a problem to to, um, other people in our life. And at the same time, within our habits, there is a lack of freedom. There is some degree of self-limitation. To give you an example about this on retreat, about how there can be this degree of proliferation. When on retreat you're sitting, just throughout the day to day, just sitting, and one feels an unpleasant sensation. If you don't 
catch that unpleasant sensation or that painful sensation, easily, easily, it can turn into, I hate this practice. <laughs> I hate this practice. Why did I come? This is the wrong practice for me. You know? I can't do it. I have to get out of here. You know, get me out of here. You know? And you can be screaming in your mind. When, an, when a pleasant sensation is occurring, you know, you're sitting there and just totally unbidden. You know, maybe you were experiencing a lot of unpleasant sensations, and all of a sudden, you, know, you didn't ask for it, but a pleasant sensation arises. Either a very pleasant breath, you know, very, the in-breath feels just so pleasant, or um, the body itself for just one moment is totally relaxed and at ease. Um, you know, the, the, the thoughts aren't tormenting you as much as they have been. You get a little bit of a break. You know, there's pleasure occurring. And the mind thinks, I love this practice. <laughs> well, I love this practice. And then the mental proliferation, you know, how can I do more? Can I sign up for a three-month course? <laughs> you know, can I ordain? We get a little crazy, you know? Is it possible to devote my whole entire life about this? Now, of course, I have to, you know, leave my family and my poor little children and, you know, and this and that. But so what? The practice is the main thing. I love this practice. You know? And then, of course, we have another unpleasant sensation and forget it. You know, we're out the door. Yeah. And if we're not mindful, of course, we can actually walk out the door. This is how people get in their cars and actually leave retreats. <laughs> is because of following that impulse. You know? I mean, actually, I have a friend. This is on the pleasant area of this, but um, I have a friend who, because of a pleasant sensation, found herself 10 years later married with many children. (laughs) She had no idea how it happened. (laughs) At that point, she realized she had to begin to practice, so, you know, things didn't go in a a direction that, you know, I mean, and of course, to be married and many children is usually a very good thing. Um, in this case, she could have been more mindful. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. Hmm. <laughs> when we feel a neutral sensation or a neutral feeling, we, we walk around dazed you know, in practice. We think, what is practice? You know, I used to understand it. I don't understand it anymore. What is mindfulness? What is this all about? And we start thinking all kinds of of thoughts about maybe I should have done this or maybe I should have gone to the Bahamas instead. I'm wasting my time. You know, I mean, there's just this, this dazed feeling because of neutrality. Oftentimes in the practice, when one in previous retreats has experienced a great deal of pain or some degree of pleasure, even a great deal of pleasure, and then at some point, because we experience everything, as yogis, as practitioners, there's neutrality. Sometimes people get a little upset about this. You know, nothing's happening in my practice. You know, nothing passionate is occurring. It's not positive, it's not negative, it's not pleasant, it's not unpleasant. It's just neutral, and I'm really bored. That's the time to practice, you know? Someone once said that boredom is the absence of attention. So that's the moment to practice, and that's when there can open up to one a new level, actually, of richness, of awareness. There's a a very short sutra called
called the Two Arrow Sutra of the Buddhists that I want to read to you. Bhikkhus, and that's us actually right now. People who do not know may feel pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, and some neither pleasant nor unpleasant sensations. Noble disciples who already know may feel some pleasant sensations, unpleasant sensations, and some neither pleasant nor unpleasant sensations. So the same, in other words. No, no difference yet. Bhikkhus, in this case, what is special or strange? What is the difference between the noble disciples who know and those who do not? Bhikkhus, the people who do not know, who are subject to the forces of unpleasant sensations, are sorrowful, mournful, crying, and lamenting until they become deranged. <laughs> I don't know if he meant this to be funny, but <laughs> it is. They feel these two types of sensation, the physical and the mental. It is like the hunter who shoots a person with one arrow and shoots yet another arrow into the same person. When this is the case, that person feels sensations due to both arrows, the physical as well as the mental. Those who do not know are just like this. They feel two types of sensations, the physical and the mental. Bhikkhus, for those noble disciples who already know, when they feel the pangs of unpleasant sensations, they are not sorrowful nor mournful. They do not wail, lament, nor beat their breasts crying, nor do they become deranged. They feel only physical sensations, not mental torment. It is like the hunter who shoots a person with an arrow and shoots yet another arrow that misses. When this is the case, that person will feel the sensations of only one arrow. The noble disciples who already know are like this. They only feel physical pangs and remain unscathed by the mental ones. So this is what is possible for us. Now there can also, the first arrow can also be a mental arrow, you know, the sixth sense door of thought and emotion. And then letting the second arrow pass by us is really a big part of our practice. So the first arrow is Vedana, or pain. And the second arrow is the mental reaction to Vedana, to feeling. So it's the difference in this case between pain and our reaction to pain. You could say it's the difference between pain and suffering, or the difference between pain and mental torment. The first arrow, as you may see from the sutra, is inevitable. To have a body, to have a mind, there will be that first arrow. It is out of our control. And this is actually not a small point that it's out of our control. Because not only do we want only pleasure, but we also have oftentimes a hierarchy, a conditioned hierarchy in terms of feeling. This is good, this is bad. This is a good feeling, this is a bad feeling. Sometimes when we have a pleasant feeling, we say, this is a bad feeling. Sometimes when we have an unpleasant feeling, we say it's a bad feeling. It's kind of this personal hierarchy that we have that um, has to do with value judgments when actually whatever feeling arises is out of our control. It is nature. So for instance, we feel we should feel a certain way and we shouldn't be experiencing pain. Or we may be suspicious of pleasure because we may feel that we need to work on our pain. Sometimes one is sitting and 
You know, there's a lot of pain. And then it goes, it changes, you know, as it will, because everything does change. And in its place is neutrality or pleasure. And we think, oh, I want that pain back, because maybe you never thought this. But sometimes people think, I want that pain back, because then I can work on it. Yeah? And usually that's based on aversion. If I work on it, then I won't have to ever feel it again. But it's this kind of you know, odd hierarchy that we have, when actually feeling is out of our control. It arises and it passes away. So we can't prevent the first arrow. Even the Buddha experienced the first arrow. But we can release ourselves from the second And this is really vitally important because there is a huge difference between pain and suffering. The reason that we can, or how is a better way to put it, how we can be released from the second or release ourselves from the second is through recognition, acceptance, and investigation. Simply to recognize, ah, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. Simply to recognize painful feeling is arising right here and right now. Simply to know neutral feeling, neutral, neutral. Just to be very conscious and equanimous and aware with the texture that's occurring. The second is acceptance, to see if we can accept the feeling that is occurring because it's occurring, not because it's good or bad, or we should want to feel that way, or we shouldn't have that feeling, or anything like that, but simply because it is happening. And if we don't enlarge our capacity to allow for it to occur, then we're going to get all tied up in knots and not learn much of anything, because we won't ever get close enough to things to see how things really are, if we're busy pushing it away. So the acceptance is the second part. And some of the um, way we can learn how to accept or enlarge our capacity to allow for things to be the way they are is through recognizing the out-of-control nature of feeling, of texture. If we do really see and recognize that we didn't cause it and that we can't make it go away, it's just the way it is in the present moment, then it helps quite a bit, I think, with being able to accept it a little bit more. You know, it's kind of, there's this teaching called Hot Buddha, Cold Buddha, which may be somewhat appropriate during these hot days. Um, And it is at IMS, in my experience, it's either very hot or very cold. (laughs) It's not always very much in the middle. But hot Buddha, cold Buddha is when you're cold, um, be cold Buddha. Be um, very steady with it. Just know cold. Be aware that cold is happening. Don't move. Don't don't react to it. Just enlarge and expand and see if there can be enough spaciousness to feel it happening in that moment. And the same, of course, is true with heat. You know, hot Buddha. You know, to really use the Buddha. I mean, you can't use that Buddha because it is a statue and doesn't feel hot or cold. But you can use the Buddha, um, the Buddha, the real Buddha, and the Buddha within as a way to help yourself in this. 
to recognize when heat is occurring, is it possible to allow for that sensation of heat in the present moment to occur? And it changes. As you may have noticed, even with as much heat as there has been, it's not hot all day. Um, One walks in a certain place and there's a little bit of a breeze, early morning, late at night. It changes all the time. And if we can be steady and aware, steady in the midst of the condition of heat, then we don't have to add to it. Then we don't have to proliferate or make up a whole story about it. Then it's happening right here in the now, and we're still in the midst of it. Investigating is being aware, basically, of, in the sutra, what's called origination and dissolution, which means impermanence, being aware of change. Thich Nhat Hanh, I think, puts this really beautifully. He talks about sitting on the banks of the river of feelings and watching them go by. You know, not jumping in, you know, not submerging yourself, not drowning in every feeling that comes along, but sitting on the banks of the river of feelings, sustaining the attention so that we can see feeling clearly as it is, identifying each one arising, existing, and disappearing as it will. Feeling is impermanent, and it changes. And if we can see its impermanent nature, then we don't cling quite as much, and it doesn't have to do this kind of morphing. We experience Vedana or texture in this way as waves of sensation. You know, when we're observing and investigating in this kind of way, we can experience sensation pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral as waves of sensation, which allows us to let go a little bit more. This allows us to relax. It allows us to observe without grasping or without expecting something to be another way than the way it happens to be in the present moment. Investigation also involves kind of reframing our experience. Instead of how we usually frame things, which is, I am in pain, this pain is mine. I am anxious, this anxiety is mine. We reframe it and look at it in terms of this is feeling arising. This is a feeling of pain, and that's all it is. When we get stuck or caught in, I am in pain, this pain is mine, We are at the mercy of that feeling. We are caught by that feeling, and we are very much pushed around. When we experience feeling pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral as part of nature, as something that is unavoidable, that is part of the very fiber of nature, as belonging to nature itself, when we see it as out of control and as impermanent, we're less prone to drowning in it or being seduced by it, or being afraid of it. We're open. You know, the Buddha was said to be totally open. So we're open and we're letting go. We're open and we're letting go. We're open and we're letting go. What happens in practicing in this way is it takes out 
the fever of clinging, or it reduces clinging to some degree. Remembering that feeling is not actually the best that life has to offer. Sometimes we think that, that pleasure is the best that life has to offer, and it's not true. In a book of uh, Joanna Macy's, um, there's, there's a little part about um, kind of, you know, kind of wisdom instructions. And in it, it said, no feeling is final. No, no feeling is final. And it is not the best life has to offer. And that's why we're here. That's why we're practicing. Because we already have the wisdom to know this to some degree. Or we would not be here. We would not be in this environment. Practicing in this way offers a sense of inner balance instead of being off balance. When we're following feelings, whichever one they may be from moment to moment, and once again, remember that they're out of our control. So when we're blindly, impulsively following pleasure, trying to push away pain, and not aware of neutrality, we find ourselves off balance in life. We lose our power. In practicing in this way, in not following instinct, but instead knowing that we have the alternative of awareness, that we can be aware of feeling as it occurs. We can find a deep sense and a deepening sense of inner balance. An inner space opens up to us, sometimes in quite an unexpected way. Which is not to say that we ever become unfeeling. Sometimes this does happen when practice takes a wrong turn. You know, after many years of practicing, sometimes there is this misunderstanding about becoming unfeeling. And that is not what the Buddha said at all. You know, to be sensitive, to be open to the feelings that arise. And at the same time, not be enthralled by or under the power of that which is impermanent and momentary. What happens is, as this inner space opens up, what is revealed to us are more refined emotions, such as equanimity, such as loving kindness. There's room for compassion. There's actually room for joy. As we let go, And of course, this is a gentle and patient process and doesn't happen right away. But as we let go more and more, there is more capacity to respond in our life, in each moment, with wisdom and with compassion. What we find as well is a deepening of contentment in the present moment, not as much looking outward for inner peace. Let me um, end with a poem that is called Poem Without a Category by someone named Genzai. Trailing my stick, I go down to the garden edge, call to a monk to go out the pine gate, a cup of tea with my mother, looking at each other, enjoying our tea together. In the deep lanes, few people in sight, The dog barks when anyone comes or goes. Fall floods have washed away the planks of the bridge. Shouldering our sandals, we wade the narrow stream. By the roadside, a small pavilion where there used to be a little hill. 
It helps out our hermit mood. Country poems pile one sheet on another. I dabble in the flow, delighted by the shallowness of the stream. Gaze at the flagging, admiring how firm the stones are. The point in life is to know what's enough. Why envy those other world immortals? With the happiness held in one inch square heart, you can fill the whole space between heaven and earth. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have comfort of heart. May all beings live in wisdom and with compassion. Let's just sit for a moment or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.